everyone, and welcome back to hell, since we talk about hell all the time on here. Okay, first some good tidings. I'm sure this is obvious to most, but it took me a while to really grasp how repetitive and monotonous this podcast can be. I spent a lot of time vilifying easy targets like uh, Marvel movies and Christopher Nolan. It'll be hard to go easy on that punk, but <laughs> I just had to get that last parting shot in. Anyway, I am going to try to reduce that repetitiveness, at least on those specific targets. I do enjoy a bit of overkill, uh, especially when I really dislike something. But one can only repeat notions so many times, so I'm going to try a different tack. And this episode is a great opportunity to start doing something different, because from here on out, the lesser or inferior works in each episode aren't going to be so unambiguously deserving of derision anymore. Because many of the upcoming selections, including this episode's, are hybrids, a mixture of the superficial and transcendent, or what I call lesser and greater, inferior and inferior. But I think you get the point. Uh, incidentally, attempting to use language, which is inherently limiting, to communicate a wholly revolutionary thought form beyond that limited language is a fun and frustrating quality of um, this, but also the further reaches of philosophy or religion, all of which I really want to talk about, but uh, don't quite fit into our context here yet, anyway. Uh, today, we're talking about Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, a 90s time travel comedy, and The Seventh Seal, a classic of serious or quote-unquote art film. So some housekeeping first. Uh, my life coach, yeah, I know how that sounds, but I'd highly recommend one if you're tormented and repressed. Uh, my life coach says that actions are often some form of giving love or some form of taking it or begging for it. It's a bit simplistic, perhaps, but it informs my disposition and the nature of this podcast. In the very first podcast from the Mensa season, I mentioned that I believe my currently uh, overly combative views on media come from a strictly dualistic upbringing as an evangelical. And I was uh, just engaging in transference now that the Christian God doesn't work for me anymore. Uh, I just, I'm just super judgmental about something else. Used to be judgmental about sinners and how I was, you know, going to heaven and, and <laughs> no, these sinners weren't. And now I kind of do the same thing, except with, uh, you know, movies and things. So, you know, that kind of upbringing combined with the relatively unremarkable traumas of my childhood uh, seemed to have placed me in a position of generally taking or begging for love, which for me often presents as hypercriticism, uh, the, the seeking of acceptance, uh, in that I'm trying to be understood and ultimately uh, to find like-minded people, even if I have to make them like-minded uh, through... <laughs> Although that sounds kind of sinister. Uh, I do want to do more giving of love, but I just wanted to say it's a journey I see ahead of me. And I, I get that a lot of this is hurt, repackaged as critique. But it's a work in progress, and uh, 
and you know I hope to grow. I recently listened to an interview with Jeff Bezos about his childhood and first of all if you haven't heard that man's voice you need to. It sounds like the surfer turtle from Finding Nemo. Anyway, he mentioned the aphorism about it being harder to be nice than right. A concept I then crudely illustrated by drawing a two-dimensional graph with axes running left to right from assholery to kindness and then running bottom to top from being incorrect to being correct. I tend to set up shop in the upper left quadrant, which is being an asshole and being correct. I like to live in the upper right quadrant, which is uh, being kind and being correct. And of course, I'm not always correct. It's um, just sort of a disposition of, of being kind of, ooh, I'm so rational about things. Oh, man, so this is only the third episode of the second series, and I already forgot a thing I promised to do every episode, which is exploring what kind of person comes from too much exposure to whatever the inferior piece of media is that I'm talking about on an episode. Uh, and this segment, along with a couple of others, uh, will probably undergo some change as I, as I seek to become less uh, repetitively vicious about the same things. So in episode two, the previous episode, we were talking about a hypothetical person whose media diet consists of, you know, a bunch of things like Mitch Album books. Um, probably this person will be nicer than other problem people I will or have talked about, like the um, toxic mascu fandom of um, some Marvel fans uh, who assert this kind of weird chauvinistic ownership of, of those properties and you know they do crazy things like edit the women out of the film or just insane stuff like that so this this hypothetical person so they'll they'll, they'll be kind of nice um maybe relatively quiet and i speak from the experience of being seen as nice on the whole uh usually and then later quickly condemned as a jerk once i do something you know, jerk-like, which I guess is no surprise if you're listening to this. I also was thinking lately how it's totally possible for a person to be friends with a bad person. And I probably have bad person friends. In fact, I can think of one right now. Um, I'm probably thought of as a bad or at least severely misguided person if you ask people who consider me an acquaintance or, or even some of my friends <laughs> may say that about me. Um, we're quick to substantiate our own taste in people and friends by assuming there's no way we'd actually befriend a jerk. Yeah. But, um, all right, so you might be a Mitch Album creature if your new hippie boyfriend met you at a folk dance gathering and is now introducing you to his grown children as a quote-unquote free spirit. Basically, this person has a simplistic, uncurious, and or inadequate level of discernment because they've come to believe nothing really means anything because everything means something. You might hear them say everything happens for a reason, a bit too much, and they tend to aggressively simplify complicated phenomena to prevent disturbing their rosy, simplistic worldview. And there's also kind of an opposite type of person who uh, overcomplicates 
simple phenomena to prevent disturbing their rosy, complex worldview. You know, both sides of the coin. All right, so Nostradamus, what say you to Bill and Ted's bogus journey? Nostradamus says, wild stallions, diddly 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 dee. Um, so that's from the Bill and Ted movie, and uh, it's like their kind of air guitar thing. Um, so Nostradamus is, is being a little zesty today, and you all should have seen him the other day. He's really laying into the sauce since the quarantine started. He says it makes him hyper-drunk focused so he can predict the future or make up analogies better. I'm expressing healthy concern over his increase in drinking, so I think remaining open and communicative about it will prevent any danger to our friend Nostradamus, who, like many of us, are lonely and self-medicating these days. Okay, so Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan. I grew up with these two, who I just realized are similar to another duo I grew up with, uh, Wayne Campbell and Garth Algar of Wayne's World. Uh, growing up on early 90s, MTV did a number on my taste, I guess. Uh, the basic premise of Bill and Ted's bogus adventure is that our heroes must escape being dead in order to save the world after being killed by robot clones of themselves from the future. So kind of like Terminator. I think Terminator 2 happened... No, Terminator happened before this, so... Yeah, I guess that was kind of a nod to that. Like Terminator, this movie stumbles a lot with time paradoxes, which, you know, in the 80s and 90s, uh, that wasn't really something filmmakers worried about too much. You know, they were more interested in ending up, you know, somehow sleeping with your own mom or watching a photograph physically change before your eyes, you know, rather than confront the logistical problems of time travel. So I won't say much about the paradoxes because that's not what they were going for wouldn't really be fair for me to hold them up to a modern standard. And gosh, even modern movies don't rarely do it right. A similar hall pass comes from the fact that this is the first comedy piece we're assessing, which brings up an important consideration should a comedy piece that is not attempting to seriously confront the issues of the afterlife be judged by the same standard as a quote-unquote serious piece. Again, the lines aren't always so clear-cut, but in general, I don't think so. Uh, you're not going to judge a poem about heaven and hell written by a high school student with the same rigor as you would, say, uh, the work of Mitch Album. Or you might, since they occupy a similar level of, of complexity. But the thing about comedies is that generally, and specifically in this case, they don't promise some mind-blowing uh, meditation on dying, or whatever the theme of the piece is. They just want to make you laugh, so I will assess it accordingly. Some quick random observations. In Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, the future is populated with people who wear really strange and colorful and big clothing. Uh, I miss that kind of portrayal of the future with you know, impractical clothes and just like weird campy cheerfulness uh, rather than the spare gray portrayals that are much more common uh, these days. I don't think we've seen a, a manic 
like structured future society since maybe the fifth element. We should note too that although I'm giving Bill and Ted a partial pass, they're not promising bestseller high quality, you know, unlike Avengers or the five people you meet in heaven do. It's refreshing to watch something that says, you know what, we see that this is not a heartbreaking work of staggering genius, but we're honest about what we're doing here. Rather than, oh, uh, here's a uh, BS tossed off explanation for this BS we're about to do, and then have powers and fly and, and punch and shoot. Or in, well, I said I wasn't going to do that, so I'll move on. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about death, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that we'll see. Let's talk about death. Uh, first, though, I, I want to be very serious about something that happened recently. The way that this podcast is and the way I talk about death is, you know, kind of nonchalant, uh, tongue-in-cheek, especially with regard to something, you know, so serious. Uh, just a few months ago, I, I lost a friend, and um, last week, I lost another I miss them very much, both gone far, far too soon, and so unfairly. It's hard to make sense of it, especially when it hits with such unforgiving, dispassionate, relentless accuracy. I suppose if we didn't laugh and or process death outside of sheer sadness and grief, we'd um, lose ourselves. So I hope in some way, my late friends, I don't know, I, I guess I'm saying that that all this reminds me of them, and I, and I hope it honors them in some way. Even if I treat death with less gravity than recent events seem to demand. Okay, so, uh, the character of death in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey is a spoof of the character death in The Seventh Seal. Although portrayals of death seem to be fairly uniform, you know, skulls, black clothes, you know, scythes, I guess, um, this particular portrayal of death is the gold standard. You can't talk about personification of death without talking about the seventh seal. Uh, Bill and Ted mine that very serious image for comedy by, for example, giving death a uh, Melvin, which is 90s speak for uh, what uh, you, you might know as a wedgie, which I guess probably doesn't happen too much these days. It uh, probably isn't received too well in our modern climate. Um, so then uh, Bill and Ted go on to challenge death to a series of board games. Um, I think they play checkers and then also, um, uh, shoot, what's that game with the colored dots on the ground? Um, you know, where you contort your body. I'm just blanking on the name of that, but anyway, um, de death is very bad at these games which is a reference, a take on how talented a chess player death is in The Seventh Seal. It's, it's funny to me, that, though, to watch death basically be bullied by Bill and Ted. I mean, if you're going to bully someone, you know, death is probably a, a fair target. Speaking of games, it's interesting that it's much more common to meet personifications of death in a media and you know end up playing games with death uh, 
than it is to meet God and play games with God. I would imagine that's because God is a much harder thing to define and interpret for the purposes of narrative. Also, death is a much more real presence in our lives than God, really. Uh, much more mundane and commonplace. I mean, it's not God in taxes, it's death in taxes. But still, why is it that we have so many stories about negotiating out of death or, or negotiating our way out of hell or, yeah, negotiating a, you know, a rockin' guitar, but not so many stories about basically tricking our way into heaven or, or like, making bargains with God? Uh, if you look at God, he's, he doesn't seem like a very fair bargain maker, though. Uh, but oh, do people try. So Death ends up being an okay dude, and he plays uh, the bass. Uh, he slaps that bass, as they say, for Bill and Ted's band, the Wild Stallions, which is, you know, what Nostradamus was talking about earlier. A choice quote from the Seventh Seal that I, you know, had to share. Um, the character of the squire says, quote, Some people don't appreciate art, so I won't bore you. I'm sensitive. End quote. Uh, I guess I'd get along with the squire, and everyone would be annoyed at the two of us. A quick word about the third movie in the Bill and Ted series that I really didn't think I'd like. Uh, it's called Bill and Ted Face the Music, and it just came out about a month ago, you know, about 20 years after Bill and Ted's bogus journey. Um, typically when there's at least like a 10-year gap between two movies in uh, the same series, you're working between extremes of either too much change so as to lose the thread of the series or too little change to where you're just repeating you know, yourself. A couple examples, uh, you have Silence of the Lambs and then about, I think it's about, yeah, 20 years later you have Red Dragon which is a uh, too much change thing. You have Jonathan Demme in Silence of the Lambs serving a thoughtful, you know, kind of philosophical thriller. And then you have fucking Brett Ratner who uh, comes off of the movie Rush Hour, you know, that Chris Tucker, Jackie Chan thing, and decided to turn the uh, Silence of the Lambs franchise into a shallow action movie. And that's Red Dragon. In contrast, The Karate Kid and The Next Karate Kid, that's the one with uh, Hilary Swank, too little change. So after Karate Kid 2 or so, they're just kind of constant remakes, basically. So those two ends of the spectrum there. The Bill and Ted trilogy actually, you know, it sounds crazy, but actually has a pretty solid arc. You know, the first one's about passing a history test, and then the second one's about saving the future that they kind of screwed up uh, by the things they did to pass that history test in the first movie. And then the third one's about finding their life purpose and fulfilling this this like prophecy about the two of them. So I'd, I'd recommend Bill and Ted 3, I mean, just for kicks and a few laughs without any fake seriousness. And they did a good job of updating the humor to, you know, modern standards. It was a little difficult to watch Bill and Ted's bogus journey because some of the humor was uh, was uh, dated. But Bill and Ted Face the Music actually reminded me a lot of uh, Rick and Morty. You know, another kind of science fiction-y, time travel-y comedy. They, I think they use a lot of, there's a lot of similar humor in there. So, you know, if you like Rick and Morty, I'd 
I give Mode Build and Ted Face of Music a shot. I mean, yeah. But uh, sequels. Hmm. Sounds like maybe material for the next podcast series. But anyway, now the million-dollar question. If comedy gives Bill and Ted a pass, like if because it's a comedy, I don't judge it so harshly, why doesn't The Good Place get that same pass? Uh, suffice it to say, The Good Place overpromises and takes itself too seriously, while also trying to have it both ways and be a comedy. It's a confused mess if you look at it dispassionately, but my thoughts on The Good Place are also becoming a bit repetitive, so I'll just leave it at that. I will say the writers of The Good Place do a good job of not being as tonally pendulous as a soap opera, but that's kind of a low bar, isn't it? Oh, it's kind of random, but here's a recent example of a movie that also overpromises. Just came out on Netflix. It, yeah, it starts out well, but it doesn't form a complete concept by the end. It's called uh, The Devil All the Time. Has a lot of great actors, wasted talent in it. Uh, the first 20 minutes or so are promising. It introduces a bunch of neat themes and imagery, but then it just doesn't do anything with any of it. This, this kind of threadbare work seems more common during the quarantine since you can't shoot material, like new material, very easily. So you end up patching up and splicing together what you do have. And cross your fingers, I said, with zero evidence. <laughs> so, yeah, not the shortest episode, but uh, I'll bring it to a close now. And, gosh, it's been, I think it's been almost a month since the last episode, so... It's been a rough couple weeks. Uh, whatever. So next episode, we will be talking about an episode of the show Black Mirror. And in particular, the episode called San Junipero, which is about, well, kind of the afterlife. And then also a, a show on Amazon Prime called Devs, which I'm looking forward to talking about. Okay, so yeah, so next episode will be great fun and much better, uh, I promise. Uh, hope to see you back soon. Remember to be kind, resign, and be safe out there, dwalls. Good night.